my life was totally transformed one summer's evening in 1994 at a youth service in a church in West London. I had a life-changing encounter that night that changed and transformed the rest of my life. I looked across the hall and I saw this stunning redhead and my life was never the same again. I had seen and fallen in love with the woman that was to become my wife. I met the most amazing woman in the world and she changed my whole life and she changed it significantly for the better. I guess we could all identify with moments in our lives when we've met somebody and it has changed our lives, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worst. Obviously with my wife, it was definitely for the better. And the Bible tells us about all sorts of people who had significant encounters with Jesus. Some of them rejected Jesus and some of them had their lives utterly transformed by him. We're going to look today in the Bible at a man called Nicodemus, whose life was totally transformed by an encounter with Jesus one night. We're studying the Gospel of John. It's John's account of the life of Jesus. Gospel just means good news. And we're studying that here at Regent at the moment. And John mentions this man, Nicodemus, three times in this account. We're going to look at two of those uh, occasions today. And Nicodemus was a Pharisee. That was a kind of political or religious sect in Israel. And he was a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. He was uh, also one of the leading religious teachers in the whole nation of Israel. So he was a politician. He was a professor of theology and a religious zealot all rolled into one. He was a really, really important guy in Israel. He was part of a religious and a political establishment that was wary of anybody or anything that might upset the status quo and might upset their monopoly on power. And at this point in Nicodemus's life, the biggest threat to that establishment seemed to be coming from this man who was traveling around, a, a, a new Bible teacher on the scene, this man called Jesus, who'd also been performing uh, miracles. And we've looked at some of those uh, in the last few weeks here at Regent. Now, we don't know what was really going on in Nicodemus's mind or what he really thought about Jesus, but it does seem that he was genuinely interested in who Jesus really was and in what he was doing and what he was teaching. He had some really big questions, but he knew that to ask those questions and to be genuinely open to the answers was politically dangerous for him. Nicodemus was part of the establishment and they wouldn't tolerate him, Nicodemus, showing any kind of genuine interest in Jesus or responding positively to what Jesus was saying and, and doing. Nicodemus wanted to find out who Jesus really was and what he was really doing. And so he went at night to meet with Jesus so that nobody else would know. Nobody else would find out what was going on. So we're going to read that account. So let, let's read that account this morning. It's in John chapter three. We're going to read from verses one to twenty one. And uh, I think the words will be up on the screen. If you've got a Bible at home, you can read along. So John chapter three and verses one to twenty one. And this is what it says. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How could a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time in his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. 
The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. So John begins his account with these words. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. In other words, you're some kind of prophet, aren't you? You're some kind of special teacher from God, aren't you? Tell me who you are. Tell me what you're all about. But Jesus didn't answer him directly. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Hang on, Jesus. What's that got to do with anything? That, that's not what I asked you. But Nicodemus didn't say that. He went along with what Jesus was saying, but nevertheless was clearly very confused. He was puzzled. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus was probably an older man and he knew that there was no way he could be physically born again. That was just obviously impossible. So Jesus told him again, but this time he says it in a slightly different way. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and of the spirit. So what was Jesus on about? What does it mean firstly to see or enter the kingdom of God? And what does it mean to be born again or born of water and the spirit? What's Jesus on about? Well, firstly, the expression, the kingdom of God simply means God's saving and transforming reign. That's what the kingdom of God means. When you read about that, when Jesus is talking about it in the Gospels, it means God's saving and transforming reign. God's kingdom is an invisible kingdom. It's not like the United Kingdom of Great Britain, which has land borders and it has a, a queen or a king. God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. God's kingdom exists wherever God reigns in a person's life, in their heart. And wherever God reigns, he brings transformation. If you have a physical kingdom, then the king brings their rule of law, their standards, their peace over that land. The law and the people come under the, the power and the authority and the, and the sovereignty of that king. But God's kingdom isn't marked by physical land boundaries. It's found, it's located, it's, it's discovered in people's lives. And, the, and those that have surrendered to God as their king 
are, absor- are absorbed and are brought into his kingdom. And once a person becomes part of God's kingdom, God brings transformation in their lives. He brings his standards and his ways into that person's life so that he brings chaos into order. He brings light instead of darkness. He brings eternal spiritual life instead of eternal spiritual death. When a person enters God's kingdom, they're saved from sin and death and they receive eternal life, that life that transforms them, not just in eternity, not just in the future, but right now because they know Jesus. To know Jesus is true life. And Jesus was saying that the only way to experience God's kingdom, his saving and his transforming reign was and is to be born again or to be born of water and the spirit. Now, we know what God's kingdom means. We've looked at that. But, but what does it mean to be born again and to be born of water in the spirit? Then? Well, the expression born again in Greek also means born from above. And it can be translated both ways. And it's probable uh, scholars think that John actually uh, intended in recording this phrase for us to read it both ways all at once. So Jesus was saying that to enter God's saving and transforming reign with all of the blessings that that brings, a person has to be born again, has to be born from above. He's not talking about physical birth. He's talking about a person having a whole new kind of life generated from above by God and from God. Jesus was saying that to enter God's saving and transforming reign, to enter God's kingdom, a person requires intervention in their lives by God. They need to be given new life, new life that's given to them supernaturally by God's spirit, the Holy Spirit. Good works, Religious standing is never enough. Nicodemus had all of that and more, but that didn't qualify Nicodemus. and It doesn't qualify us today. It doesn't qualify him or us for entry into God's kingdom. Only a new life from God can do that. And when Jesus uses the phrase born of water and the spirit, he's referring to a part of the Bible in the Old Testament where the words uh, water and spirit together refer to spiritual renewal and cleansing that the Holy Spirit gives, just like water cleans and cleanses. So Jesus was saying that every person needs to be spiritually renewed and spiritually cleansed by God if they're to enter into his kingdom and so be saved from sin and death and receive eternal life. God's kingdom is a kingdom of life, eternal life. And every human being, according to the Bible, is regarded as uh, is regarded by God as being physically alive, but spiritually dead and spiritually dead people cannot enter into God's kingdom. God won't allow death into his kingdom. His kingdom is a kingdom of life. So if people are to enter God's kingdom, they need to be made alive. They need new life, not physical life, but spiritual life. They need to be regenerated. They need to be born from above or born again. They need new life given to them by God through the power of his Holy Spirit. And they need the cleansing and the renewing that only the Holy Spirit can give to them. So the first question I want to ask each one of you this morning as you're watching there at home today is this. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? Have you been born from above? Means the same thing. Have you been born of water and of the Holy Spirit? All of those phrases all mean the same thing. In other words, have I, have you asked God to make you into a new person so that you can enter into his kingdom and live with God as his king? If you haven't, then you can't enter into God's kingdom. That's what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. And it's what we need to understand today as well, 2000 years later. 
It requires us to humble ourselves under God and to acknowledge our brokenness, to acknowledge our darkness and to acknowledge our spiritual deadness, that we're dead in our sins, as the Bible says. It requires us to humbly reach out to God and ask him to have mercy on us and to make us into a new person, to give us that new life that we so desperately need and that only God can give. Now, despite Jesus telling Nicodemus these things, Nicodemus was still confused. How can this be? He asked Jesus. And so Jesus begins to explain to him how a person can be born again. Now, Nicodemus was one of the main Bible teachers in Israel. He was the equivalent of a kind of professor in theology. He knew the Old Testament of the Bible inside out. And so to explain, Jesus takes him and us right back 1400 years earlier to, uh, in the history of the nation of Israel. And he gives Nicodemus a little bit of a history reminder. He takes him back to the time when Israel, the nation of Israel, under the leadership of Moses, had left Egypt. They'd been in slavery. They'd left and they'd come out of Egypt. And they spent 40 years in the desert before they eventually went into the promised land, the land of Israel. And on one occasion during those 40 years, they were rebelling against God as they did time and time again. And in order to discipline them and to bring the people back to their senses and back to worshipping him, God sent these venomous snakes in amongst the people and they bit the people and many of the people died. But then the people finally come to their senses and they acknowledge and they realize that they sinned against God. And so they asked Moses to pray to God on their behalf. So God told Moses to do something which maybe at first looks a little bit odd to us. He said, I want you to make a bronze snake and I want you to put it up on a pole so that anyone who's been bitten by an actual snake could look at the bronze snake and then God would heal them. They had to look at an image of the very thing that was killing them. And by doing so, they would be healed. So this was a real event in history that happened 1400 years before Jesus, around about 1440 BC, something around about that time. It's a real event in history. But like so many of the real events of the Old Testament, of course, all the events in the Old Testament are real. These are real events that happen, but they point forward to Jesus. They point forward to who Jesus is and what he would do here on earth. Look at verse 14. Jesus is explaining how a person can be born again and enter into God's kingdom. And this is what he says. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So the son of man was a title that Jesus used to refer to himself. Okay, so Jesus is talking about himself. Jesus was saying that just as the snake was lifted up by Moses on that pole in the desert, so he, Jesus, was going to be lifted up. And that all who would look in faith to him and believe in him would have eternal life. But what did Jesus mean by being lifted up? Well, look at the next verse, probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loved the world so much that despite the sinfulness of everyone in the world, he wanted to make it possible for the people of this world, including you and me, to have our sin dealt with and removed so that we could enter God's kingdom. Just like that bronze snake was lifted up for people to look to in faith for their physical healing, so Jesus was lifted up there on the cross when he died. The Bible says that whilst on that cross, despite being completely sinless, and perfect, Jesus actually became your sin and my sin. He became the very thing that caused us 
and causes us to be spiritually dead and separated from God. He chose to allow God the Father to place upon him your sins and my sins. And just as the people had to look at the very thing that was causing their death, the snake back in the desert, so Jesus had to become the very thing that causes both our spiritual and physical death. And as Jesus became sin there on the cross and bore in his body on the cross all our sins, all our rebellion, all our shortfalling, all our mess ups and foul ups and screw ups. As he became sin, God the Father poured out his holy wrath and anger against our sin onto Jesus. God loved the world so much that he gave the most, the most precious thing that he had. He gave his son, he gave himself in order to offer us eternal life. And so Jesus says to Nicodemus and to us today, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Driven by love for you and love for me, God sent his son not to condemn us, but to save us if we choose to believe in him and look to him in faith to save us. If we reject Jesus, if we refuse to believe in him, then we are condemned. But if we believe in him, we are saved. We enter God's saving, ruling and transforming reign. Jesus says this in verse 18, whoever believes in him, talking about himself, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Because of God's mercy, many of you watching today have believed in Jesus. You've looked in faith to the cross and to what Jesus did for you there. You've chosen not to put your faith in your, your own good works or religious standing or your education or your social position or anything else. Instead, you've chosen to put your faith in Jesus and what he did for you there on the cross to make it possible for you to be forgiven and have eternal life. And we have received so much from God as a result. Look at the things that Jesus tells us in these verses that are true of us if we've believed in him, if we've looked to him, lifted up in faith and we've put our faith in him and have been born again as a result. Look at what he says. And if you've got an outline at home that you've printed off that we've that if, if you come to Regent, you've got that outline handy. Write this on your outline. These are the these are just some of the amazing truths that are true of us if we've trusted in Jesus. I am loved by God. Write that on your outline. I am loved by God. I have eternal life. I am free from condemnation. I am saved. What phenomenal facts, what phenomenal truths. Write those on your outline. It's so important to just write stuff out. It just really reinforces it in our minds. I am loved by God. I have eternal life. I am free from condemnation forever. And I am saved forever. They're fantastic truths, fantastic facts to be loved by God, to have eternal life, to be free from condemnation because our sins have been removed, because Jesus died, to be saved from God's wrath because Jesus bore it instead. What amazing love we have received from God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus goes on to say to Nicodemus in verse 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear his deeds will be exposed. Now, when people encounter Jesus, the light, they respond in one of two ways. Some people, because they love uh, darkness, prefer to avoid Jesus, the, the one who is the light of the world. 
But as he goes on to say in verse 21, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. In other words, those who respond to Jesus and surrender to him and look in faith to him to save him, they are described as those who live by the truth. And so they come into the light. They begin to live differently. They change. They're transformed. It's the result of being born again. The, the good things they do are as a result. They're the, the, the result of God's intervention, his supernatural intervention in their lives. If a person has been born again, there has to be some evidence. There has to be repentance. They have to turn away from all that they know is wrong and turn instead to try to live God's way. And as a result of his encounter with Jesus, Nicodemus that night began a journey. I don't think he trusted in Jesus that night, but he's went away certainly thinking deeply about what Jesus had said to him. And maybe that's where you're at today. You're thinking deeply about what Jesus says. It wasn't until Jesus died on the cross, perhaps about three years later, as he told Nicodemus that he would in these very verses. It wasn't until then that Nicodemus, as it were, stepped out of the dark and into the light. As Jesus' body was taken down from the cross, we read these words in John chapter 19. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and, olive, and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Nicodemus was joined by one of his political and religious colleagues, this man Joseph. And Nicodemus, who had earlier visited Jesus by night, now steps out of the darkness and he comes out into the light. To go to Pilate, the Roman governor, was a bold step, a big step, and it was a public step. There'd be no hiding now for uh, Nicodemus. He would make his public allegiance to Jesus, it, and it would be very costly for him. He would, it would probably cause him many problems now and, and possibly persecution. But not only did Nicodemus take this public step and make clear where his allegiance lay, he also spent a significant amount of his own money to buy the spices to treat Jesus' body with. The account goes on to say this, taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it uh, with spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish customs, uh, uh, sorry, Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. These two men gave the body of Jesus the care and love that it deserved. Nicodemus made his public allegiance to Jesus at great personal risk to his own future and gave significantly of his own wealth to show now and demonstrate his love for Jesus. Nicodemus was doing some of the things that true disciples of Jesus, those who've been born again, do as they respond to what Jesus has done for them. See, write this on your outline. If you've got an outline at home, write this down. Disciples of Jesus make public their love for him and they give their best to him. They give the best they have to him. Disciples of Jesus make public their love for him and they give the best they have to him. There's lots of other ways in the New Testament in which those who uh, have given their lives to Jesus should respond to who he is and what he's done. The New Testament is full of different instructions for us. But here are two ways that we see Nicodemus responding. Firstly, he went public with his beliefs. Once he was visiting Jesus by night, 
Now it's in the open, out in the open. Can I encourage you, if you have been born again and profess to be a follower of Jesus, take a stand. Make your beliefs public. Make sure that those around you in your family, in in your street, in your office, in your school, in your workplace, make sure that people around you know that you are a disciple of Jesus, that you've trusted in Jesus. It can be costly. We may face rejection, mockery and, and even persecution. But when we think of what Jesus did for us there on the cross, can any price be too great to pay? I wonder what people know you for. If you're a follower of Jesus, do people know you as a follower of Jesus? When people listen to what you talk about, do they know you are a follower of Jesus? When people look at your social media account, do they know you're a follower of Jesus? When people watch how you behave, do they know you're a follower of Jesus? And secondly, if you are a follower of Jesus, then like Nicodemus, does what you spend your money on demonstrate your love for him? Nicodemus, in bringing these spices to treat Jesus' body, was giving a lavish gift that would have cost him a huge amount of money. Now, it's not really our money that Jesus wants. He certainly doesn't need it. The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth and every mine is his. What Jesus wants, what Jesus wants is our hearts. Jesus wants your heart. But Jesus himself said that where our treasure is, where our money is, is where our hearts are. And what we choose to spend our money on shows where our hearts really are, shows what really has our heart. Nicodemus had an encounter with Jesus at night. And as his understanding of who Jesus was and what he'd come to do developed, he responded by laying his own life on the line. We never read what happened to Nicodemus a few days later when Jesus rose from the dead. I expect it would have been an amazing second encounter between the risen saviour and the man who had first visited him in the dark. I wonder if you've had an encounter with Jesus. Have you been born again? Have you responded to who Jesus is and what he did for you there on the cross? Have you come into the benefits of his saving reign? And if you have, and perhaps many of you have this morning, But have you made it clear to all around you that you love Jesus and that you are now part of God's kingdom? Do you put who you are and what you have, your time, your abilities, your possessions, your finances, do you put them at the feet of Jesus as a gift of love for him to use? Now, one of the churches that's been watching our services during lockdown is a church in Kirby Stephen, a church that I've had links with for, for pretty much all my life and it's, it's great to have them linking up with us um, like this we're going to hear now from a girl called marima who goes to that church in kirby Stephen, and hear how she like nicodemus recently had an encounter with jesus and how it changed her life let's watch marima's story thank you hi i'm marima and this is my testimony I'm from a non-Christian family and I didn't believe in God or in heaven and hell. Before I became a Christian I was basically a party animal. I loved to go out every weekend and probably consumed double my body weight in alcohol. I guess I liked drinking because it made me feel more fun and confident. I eventually settled down when I met my boyfriend Jack who I've been with now for over two years. I still loved a good night out though. My life was also focused on other things such as getting a new car and getting as much tips as I could in the pub I worked in at the time. In other words, I was set on earning as much money as I could. 
to buy more materialistic things to make myself happy. Now when I look back, I see I was trying to fill a hole in my life that only God could fill and make me truly happy. Back in February last year, me and my friend travelled down to Nottingham to visit our friend Flora who was at uni there. I didn't know she went to church so it came as a bit of a shock when she said we're all going there on Sunday morning. I thought, isn't church just for older people or for people who have nothing better to do? Anyway, we all went to Flora's church and I saw such a variety of people there, it really got me thinking, what are all these people doing here? I felt emotional throughout the service and for some reason guilty. Looking back, I feel that this was God calling out to me, making his presence known. When I got back home from Nottingham, I was again feeling guilty and upset. I felt like a bad person, even though I hadn't done anything really bad in my life, like murdered someone or robbed a bank. I realise now that this was the Lord convicting me of my sins, making me aware that I am a sinner. Looking back, I remember being a non-Christian, it was hard for me to grasp the concept of sin. I thought I was overall a good person, but I have, for example, used God's name in vain, told white lies to people and judged others negatively. In God's eyes, all these things are done a sin. Even though they might seem like normal human nature to us, the Lord judges us by these as well as the most horrible things. I was glad when Flora came back home from uni. We went to church most Sundays and even went to some prayer meetings and Bible studies. I was trying to understand what it was all about. I bought a Bible and read a few books about Christianity but my head was still all over the place, trying to make sense of the good news of the Gospel and why I needed to admit that I'm a sinner to God. I can remember one night after a Bible study, me and Flora were talking to John and Margaret. They were talking about the sinner's prayer. I still didn't feel ready but I can remember John explaining that God is knocking on my door and when I'm ready I can let him into my life. I had a choice to either ignore God or let him in and fill me with the Holy Spirit. I knew what I needed to do but I wasn't ready. In the Bible it said in Romans 10 verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I understood that this was important because I needed to be saved from God's judgment. I needed my sins forgiven so I wouldn't be carrying this guilt all the time. Anyway, John gave me a booklet called God's Story. It basically explains how Jesus saves us from hell even though we deserve it because of our sins. It also had a version of the sinner's prayer in it. It's a great little booklet that answered a lot of my questions at the time. Uh, it wasn't until I'd been on this particular night out in April I realised how lost I was and how much I needed God in my life. And I couldn't carry on feeling guilty for my sins all the time. I was sick on the way home after obviously drinking too much alcohol. I was in tears, I just hated the state I was in. I felt extremely guilty now and for some reason I rushed to pick up my Bible and I read a bit of John's Gospel in my drunken state. More tears fell from my face as I finally understood that I am a sinner and God sent Jesus to die on the cross for me as my substitute so I wouldn't go to hell. Amongst tears I remember saying, I'm sorry God, it was just so overwhelming realising how much God really loves me. I had to say the sinner's prayer and welcome the Lord into my heart. So the next morning I said to Jack, you need to sit here with me when I say this. I felt I needed someone there to witness me speaking this prayer. 
I still had that God story booklet that John gave me and I'm so thankful for it as I wouldn't have had a clue what to say. As I was reading aloud the sinner's prayer I felt good within myself confirming this was definitely the right thing to do. Jesus said in John chapter 9 verse 41 that if you were blind you would not be guilty of sin but now that you claim you can see your guilt remains. So I was spiritually blind but God has opened my eyes by convicting me of my sins and making me feel guilty. It was a guilt I never had before. Uh, the 28th of April is the day I gave my heart to the Lord and my second birthday so the day I was reborn as a child of God. Almost a year now since I've been saved. I never thought I'd ever become a Christian, but it's the best thing I've decided to do with my life. I enjoyed church on Sunday, which is a massive change from being someone who avoided it back then. Even now, during this pandemic, I'm still attending church virtually. Nothing is stopping me. Just because I've given my heart to the Lord does not at all mean I'm perfect now and will never sin again. Our human nature will never allow us to be completely sin-free, but with Jesus' help through the Holy Spirit, we can possibly overcome some of our sins. I am promised an eternal life in heaven with God. There's a wonderful Bible verse that says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in, believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that's John chapter 3, verse 16. So um, instead of going on nights out every weekend, I spend most nights in, so keeping my dad company, spending time with my friends. Um, I don't go on nights out now, it just doesn't excite me like it used to. I now look forward to Bible studies and going to church. Um, I've also stopped drinking back in December. I realised I didn't need alcohol in my life, especially as I said nights out don't appeal to me anymore. I didn't need to rely on alcohol to give me that confidence boost at social events which at the time being Christmas were festive meals with uh, work or with friends and moreover I felt guilty having a drink being a Christian. I guess I was only drinking alcohol to fit in better with others and just make myself feel more comfortable. Uh, the Lord is with me now and I can rely on him to help me in any situation. I can do all things through him who gives me strength and that's in Philippians 4 verse 13. The Bible doesn't say that you cannot drink alcohol at all but for me personally and through the help of the Holy Spirit I felt it was the right thing for me to do. I can remember being the person always egging my friends on to come on a night out with me. Now I'm the complete opposite and I, I now try and egg them on to come to church which unfortunately doesn't always get the same reaction as a night out but I'll, I'll keep trying. Uh, obviously, during this pandemic, I haven't been able to meet with others and spread the good news of the gospel. But me and Flo, that I mentioned before, my friend that's studying at university, uh, we've started a virtual book study with some of our non-Christian friends. Flo found this amazing book called The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus, and it explains the main message of the Bible and who Jesus is. It isn't always easy sharing the gospel as sometimes people just aren't interested or aren't willing to change their beliefs. But it's important to remember to have faith in God and pray for those people that the seeds planted in their minds will grow with the help of the Lord and one day God can lead them to repent just like he has done with me. Uh, it's much harder now with this horrible virus to share the gospel but with technology I've managed to share some 
videos on my Facebook page and I've left some leaflets outside my house and in the village bus stop explaining the hope beyond coronavirus and that's those there by Roger Carswell um, so yeah my goal in life now I guess is to share the great news of the gospel to as many people as possible and save them from the separation of God which is much much worse than the scary happenings right now um, so I'll end with this verse that I feel sums up my testimony from once being a party animal to now a devoted Christian so it's do not get drunk with wine for that is wickedness but be filled with the Holy Spirit and constantly guided by him and that's in Ephesians 5 chapter 18